Well, this morning, if you would, I would like you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Our text for this morning is going to be Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 1 through 3. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 will be the passage that we are focusing on this morning. If you're visiting with us this morning, we are working through the book of Ephesians section by section. And we come to the first part of chapter 2. And actually, verses 1 through 10 form a whole section. A section that is one of the most important teachings in all of the Bible on the subject of our salvation. A section, verses 1 through 10, that is so important that I want to take a number of weeks to look at it. So this morning we're going to look at the first part. And then next Sunday morning we're going to look at the second part. And then on the 13th we'll take a break. And it will be Mother's Day. We're going to honor our mothers on the 13th. So I'll preach on something related to our moms. And then on the 20th we'll come back and do the third part. This is so important, I think, that we need to take it very slowly and carefully as we work through it. And this morning we will be looking, as I mentioned, at the first three verses of chapter 2. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, but not exclusively to the church at Ephesus This is a letter that was intended from its very outset to be circular in nature, circulated among a number of different churches. So he is writing to many believers, not just those in Ephesus. And this is what he says in those first three verses. And you, Christian, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Well, our first point this morning is how we came to life. In Ephesians chapter 1, we learned of the breathtaking scope of our salvation in Christ. Oh, Ephesians chapter 1, what a chapter. We spent quite a few months just on that one chapter. And well, we should because there is so much there. In verses 3 Through 14 of chapter 1, we have our great hope and inheritance in Christ. In verses 15 through 23, we have that amazing prayer, that overwhelming prayer of the Apostle Paul, who teaches us how we are to pray for ourselves and how we are to pray for our fellow believers. We are instructed in a divine, inspired way how to pray for other Christians. And we think of some of the great truths that we learned in chapter 1. God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And as I shared with you before, we will spend the rest of our earthly Christian lives 
groping with, wrestling with, what does that all mean? In fact, that is the heart and soul of your Christian life. What does it mean? What does it mean that we have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places? We learn that we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, which is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. We are sealed and kept by God's Holy Spirit who indwells us. It's the guarantee. He's the guarantee of our inheritance. Well, as we come to this section in chapter 2, Paul now begins to describe the act and process of salvation. In other words, he is describing the miracle that draws men in to the eternal plan portrayed in chapter 1. So we have this great hope and inheritance described for us, and now we're going to talk about the miracle that brought us into this divine, amazing, overwhelming plan of God. And make no mistake about it this morning, our salvation is a miracle. It is a supernatural act of God. We are going to learn that it is by grace you have been saved through faith, And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. We're going to learn about that in the coming weeks. It is the miracle of the Holy Spirit who applies to us the accomplished work of Christ that brings us into God's amazing blessings and plan. If there is one verse, one verse in chapter 1 that really summarizes all of chapter 1, I think it would be Ephesians 1.19. Where it says, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. Paul says, so I want you to know this. I want you to understand this. As we learned last week, I want the eyes of your heart to be enlightened. I want the eyes of your heart to be in open." Open to what is the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us who believe according to the working of his, of his great might. Well, in this particular text that we're looking at, in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, we have one of the clearest statements in Scripture on the sinfulness of man apart from from Christ. This is an important section for us. I'm going to emphasize that now and I'm going to emphasize it at the end of the message. This section of scripture teaches us that people are spiritually dead because by nature they are sinful. That's my big idea this morning. That's the big thought from which the rest of this sermon flows. People are spiritually dead because they are by nature sinful people. Their very natures are sinful. This is the past condition of all of us as believers and it is the present condition of everyone else in the world. Because of their sinful, fallen nature... People who are apart from Christ are dead to God. 
cut off from a relationship with him and completely unable to save themselves. Let me say that again. Because of their sinful fallen state, people apart from Christ are dead to God, cut off from a relationship with him, and completely unable to save themselves. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 35, Jesus says, The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I want you to think about that. I want you to meditate on that. The evil person out of his evil treasure, out of his evil being, brings forth evil. In Matthew chapter 15 and verses 18 and 19, Jesus says, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Notice what our Savior is saying. Out of the mouth, from out of the mouth proceeds, or excuse me, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. It is the heart that defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil. And here's what I want us all to understand. When we think immoral thoughts, thinking immoral thoughts does not make us evil. We think immoral thoughts because we are evil. When people commit adultery, that doesn't make them evil. They commit adultery because they are evil. When people steal and lie, it is not that that makes them evil. They steal and lie because they are evil. Well, that brings us to our second point this morning, which is really the heart and soul of what I want to share with you. And our second point is dead men walking. Some of you may remember there was a movie in the mid-90s called or titled Dead Man Walking. It starred uh, Susan Sarandon and Sean Penn. It was about a Catholic nun who was ministering to a death row inmate who was fairly young but had been condemned to die. And in the movie, the title of the movie, Dead Man Walking, comes from one particular scene in the movie, if you're familiar with it. Toward the end of the movie, the prisoner who's on death row, is going to his execution. And as he goes down the hallway toward his imminent execution, one of the prison guards yells out, Make way! Dead man walking. Make way! Dead man walking. Some of you may be familiar with the the popular cable series, The Walking Dead. If you like zombies, that would be your show. Um, But it is. It's about the walking dead, the zombies who are also known as walkers. Very popular, been on since 2010 and is still going on. And it's interesting. As I was studying this week, I was reading one particular commentary, and it said this. It says, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, teaches us that we are death walking. And then he says this in the commentary. He says, we are spiritual zombies who have no idea that we are spiritually dead. 
That's what this section of scripture is about. And I want to share with you three things that Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 teaches us about who we were before we came to Christ and what the rest of the world is now apart from Christ. First of all, before we came to Christ, we were dead in trespasses and sins. In verse 1, in the first part of verse 2, it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Oh, what an important verse. And understanding our salvation, it really is. You were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, trespasses and sins are really two ways of saying the same thing. Two kind of views on sin itself. Trespasses here refers to those who deviate from the path, those who stumble out of the path, the path being the will and design of God for our lives. Sins here is actually the most common word used for sin in the entire New Testament. It's used about 173 times. And it refers to missing the mark or falling short of the mark. It has a very famous word picture associated with it. It is the picture of an archer who has his bow and arrow. And he is shooting at the target and he completely misses it. It's Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The glory of God is God's standard of perfect holiness, God's standard of perfect righteousness, and all of us fall way short of that mark. We completely miss the mark, and so we are dead in trespasses and sin. Now, this refers to the spiritual state of the person without Christ. It is the spiritual realm in which they live, in which we once lived. It was our sphere of existence. It was our nature to be spiritually dead. I want to emphasize to you again, we were not dead because we had committed sin, but because we were in sin. People are spiritually dead today, not just because they sin, but because they have sinful natures. And so, on our own, so important here, so important to the next messages after this, on our own, we could not earn or merit our way to God because we were dead, spiritually dead. So first of all, before we came to Christ, we were dead in trespasses and sins. Secondly, before we came to Christ, we followed the course of this world and the leader of this world, Satan himself. In verse 2 it says, following the course of this world, following, this is what we did, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We followed the course of this world. World here does not refer to a geography. It is not about a globe or a map. World refers to the world order, the world's system of values, the world's worldview, as we would call it, the philosophy and beliefs 
of this world. Folks, we should not be surprised when the people in our culture distort human sexuality, when they distort the meaning of the family, when they distort the sanctity of human life, when they celebrate that which is completely contrary and opposed to the teachings of the Bible. We should not be surprised because they are following the course of this world. And so did we. Before we came to Christ, so did we, Paul is telling us. But not only are they following the course of this world, they are following, whether knowingly or unknowingly, the leader of this world, Satan himself. And Satan is described as the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That term, the prince of the power of the air, is a difficult term to actually nail down. It most likely refers to that he is the prince of that portion of the heavenly realm where his army of demons are at work each and every day. It is Ephesians 6.12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Satan is the prince of the power of the air. Allowed, allowed by God to have a measure of control and power on this earth until the Messiah returns and sets up his kingdom. It is 1 John 5.19. Now we know that we are the children of God and the whole world is under the control of the evil one. That's what it says in the New International Version. The whole world is under the control of the evil one. The ESV has an very interesting translation of 1 John 5.19. It says, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And Paul says, before we came to Christ, we followed the course of this world. We followed the leader of this world. And that's why this world is the way it is. Because that is the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. It is the mind frame. It is the attitude. It is the worldview of the sons of disobedience, of those who are apart from Christ, could be translated sons and daughters of disobedience. So secondly, before we came to Christ, all of us, we followed the course of this world. And we followed the leader of this world, Satan himself. Well, thirdly, before we came to Christ, we were slaves to our own sinful passions and desires. In verse 3, it says, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out, carrying out the thought is willfully, and in many cases gladly, Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, our body and our mind. And we're by nature children of wrath, 
like the rest of mankind. We were slaves. Before you come to Jesus, before you experience his life-giving salvation, your God is your own passions and desires. That's all you know, is giving into, caving into, gladly following your own sinful passions and desires. Perhaps there is no portion of scripture that says this better than Romans chapter 6. What an amazing chapter. Paul says in Romans chapter 6 that you are either a slave to sin and death or you are a slave to righteousness and obedience. You're one or the other. There's no middle ground. You are either a slave to sin and death or you are a slave to righteousness and obedience. And then he says this, we were by nature children of wrath. I want to just talk about that for a moment. This is a very important little statement. He says to all of us, before you came to Christ, implying that this applies to all people who are apart from Christ right now, you were by nature, don't miss that word, You were by nature children of wrath. Every once in a while, I will see someone interviewed on TV. And they will say, well, we're all God's children. Or they'll say, well, after all, we are all the children of God. And I want you to know something, and this is important to clarify, whether you are young in the faith or older in the faith. We were all created by God, but we are not all children of God. We are not. You are only a child of God if you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and are regenerated by the Holy Spirit and given new life in him when you receive him. Consciously, knowingly receive him as your Lord and Savior. We often say there are two kinds of people in the world, the lost and the saved. Well, there are two kinds of people in the world. Those who are children of wrath and those who are children of God. If you are not a child of God, you are a child of wrath. That unless you come to know Christ as Savior, your destiny is condemnation and judgment before God. So we were, before we came to Christ, we were... Children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were just like the rest of mankind, which means that the rest of mankind, those apart from Christ, are children of wrath. So before we came to Christ, we were slaves to our sinful passions and desires. That's what this passage teaches. Now, you may be thinking this morning, wow. Pretty morbid passage. This is kind of a Debbie Downer-like passage, you know. Not much I'm going to walk away encouraged by. But this passage is very important. We will not understand the rest of this section 
until we grasp and understand this. Now, in Ephesians 2, verse 4, begins with two life-changing, eternity-altering words, but God. Praise God those words are there. All these three things were true about you, but God. However, I want you to understand this morning, you cannot understand that little phrase, but God, until you first grasp with all your heart, verses 1 through 3. You cannot. But God will lose its power, will lose its impact on your life until you first understand verses 1 through 3. So let me summarize. Apart from Christ, we could not rescue ourselves. We could not do anything to save ourselves. You've heard it so many times. No matter how many good works you do, no matter how good a life you try to live, apart from Christ, you cannot save yourself. You can do nothing to save yourself. We were dead in trespasses and sins. We followed the course of this world and the leader of this world. We were slaves to our sinful passions and desires. And then it says, but God. I want you to think about something with me this morning, which I hope will emphasize how important this passage is. All of us here, all of us here this morning know people who have rejected the gospel or who continue to put off the gospel. It is presented to them in love and compassion, but they reject it. Or they just keep postponing it. They keep putting it off. And when we think of those people, here's what we tend to think. We think, well, they must not believe that Jesus is truly God. Or they must not believe that Jesus actually died for their sins as a sacrifice on the cross. They must be struggling with the fact that salvation is a free gift. And for some people that is true. Those are reasons some people reject the gospel and put off the gospel. But I want to submit to you this morning that I believe the number one reason people reject the gospel and put off the gospel is because they don't think they need it. They think they're pretty good. Really, most people outside these walls believe they're pretty good people living pretty good lives. They do. They think people in general are, are good. None of them will say to you that they're perfect. They know they're not perfect, but they think they're pretty good people. I would say to you that the average Joe out there, the average man or woman out there, they aren't spending every day struggling with deep theological issues. Again, some are. Some are. But the average person 
in the average community, in the average home, they aren't struggling with, oh, these deep thoughts about God. They're pretty happy the way they are. They are. They think they've got a pretty good life. Let's be honest this morning. In our country, in our Western culture, right now, right now, there are millions of people who are sitting at home. They're watching TV. Maybe they're going to work in the yard. Maybe they're going to clean the garage. Do something else around the house. Or maybe right now, they're having Sunday brunch somewhere. They're enjoying Sunday morning. And they're pretty happy. Oh, folks, we need to pray for them that they will understand Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, that they will understand these truths. You see, but God will mean nothing to them until they first understand their own sin and desperate need for a Savior. The sinfulness of the human heart needs to be a part of every gospel presentation. Every loving, tender, caring proclamation of the gospel needs to include the truth that we are spiritually dead and unable to come to God on our own. I've shared this with you before. I think prayer is the most untapped resource in Christian evangelism. Oh, we believe in prayer. But I mean, we really need to pray for those people. And again, all of you have people in your world, your sphere of influence, who don't know Christ, who you are burdened for. I know you do. First and foremost, you need to pray. Pray that they will understand their own sinfulness, their own spiritual deadness, and their desperate, desperate need for Jesus and his accomplished work on the cross. And then pray for yourself. Pray that you will know how to lovingly and carefully share this truth with those people. Oh, again, as I mentioned at the beginning, in a few weeks we're going to come to that great verse, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. But until we understand our own sin, we will not understand that great gift. Oh, God, help us to pray to pray for those who are without Christ, that they might understand the truths taught in this passage. Let's pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you because there was a time where through the conviction of your inspired word and the conviction of the Holy Spirit using your word, we understood Every person who knows Christ at some point came to understand that we are sinful, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, and the only way we can be saved is through Jesus and his work on the cross. Oh, Lord, we pray 
We pray for those people that we love so much, that we care so deeply about, people in our families, people in our communities, people in our workplaces. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, help them. Please help them to see their true condition. Help them to see that they are dead men walking. And help us to convey that clearly when we present the gospel. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.